welcome to episode 35 of Insights. This is the podcast for Elite Admit, the number one consulting firm in Southeast Asia. Today, I'm joined by Fernie Martinez, our senior partner. How's it going, Fernie? I'm doing very well. Excited to Great. be back in the, in the thick of things for round one. Fantastic. And I should introduce myself as well. I'm Carl Prince. I'm the country manager. So Fernie, today, what I thought we could do, you know, things are heating up for round one. So I thought it might be a good idea if we can do a couple of things. Number one, talk about new things in the admissions cycle this year, but also maybe questions that we commonly get at this point in the process. How does that, that sound? Sounds great. Sounds okay, perfect. Fantastic. So, so I'm going to start. I've got a burning question and I spend at least an hour on this every day, it feels like. So a lot of people who are ready to go in round one, okay, so they've got all the scores, they've got everything they need, their profile is ready. How do you, what is your advice on helping your, your clients or, or advising people on optimizing the rounds to get the best results? Do you have yeah, a particular strategy that you use? It's a fantastic question. And it's probably, as you mentioned, the question that comes up the most right around this time. Um, the biggest concern is whether one round has a higher uh, percentage of helping their chances to get in. Um, there's no difference between round one and round two in terms of does one or the other improve their chances of getting in. Uh, schools do a very good job of uh, splitting the rounds and splitting the uh, the amount of, of admits that come in uh, to each round. So applying in round one does not it's not going to make it easier for you to get in than if you wait for round two. Um, so then the question becomes, what are the pros and the cons uh, between applying in round one and applying in round two? And the, <laughs> the honest answer is it all depends. Um, and it depends on preparedness. So it really is a you know, client by client decision uh, and it really is dependent on where they are in terms of readiness to apply. Um, so one of the biggest factors, obviously, in the application process is the GMAT score. Uh, so if currently the GMAT score is not where they want it to be, where, not, um, where I know that it can get to, um, some people are very satisfied with their score and they think that that's the highest that, that it's going to get and they, they're you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiety about taking the test over and over again, and they just want to put that behind, then that's fine. If that's what they decide and that's the score that they want to uh, move on with, then perfect. We'll take that score and we can get things moving in round one. However, if we know that there's room for improvement, if they feel that they can improve, if I think they can improve, if they've only taken it once or twice, um, then the recommendation is to spend this extra time and wait for round two uh, and improve that score because that's going to open up a lot of those doors. Um, so that's the primary concern between round one and round two uh, for the most part. Um, there are other pros and cons, uh, but again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. So uh, the pro in round one is that, um, you know, you kind of find sort of a foundation as to, as to where you are, right? So you can do you know, a mixture of, you know, maybe some of the reaches, maybe some of the schools that match your current score. And once you get a, an acceptance out of the way, then it really does alleviate a lot of the pressure. Now, if you get into school, you know, that's number 12, number 13, then in round two, 
you know, you're free to apply to number 11 and above because now you know what your floor is and you can just concentrate on everything that comes above it. Um, so that's a nice perk. Um, another perk is for if for some reason something doesn't go exactly the way you want in round one, uh, you kind of have that safety net of being able to wait until round two. The pros in round two is time. And time really is valuable. Time to uh, improve your achievement, um, improve the things that you're doing outside of the of the workplace to to make the world a better place. Uh, time to improve your scores, whether that be the GMAT, the TOEFL, the IELTS, whatever the case may be. If you have a bad university grade, maybe here's a time to perhaps take an online course to help you know offset that. So. Uh, time really is valuable, and waiting for round two can help uh, a lot of the time. But uh, yeah, it really is. There's no easy answer. It really is just a case by case basis, and you know it's up to the client. Yeah, exactly. you know, obviously, with our concession, but uh, together right. we we realize what you know what's the best choice right. for them. You know, it, I think it's also important to point out that during that break, right, you know, they've already done their profile, their essays are done, everything is out of the way. So it's like those extra three months in there, man, you can focus on things that you really need to focus on, as you mentioned, right, improving your achievements, improving your interview technique. But you know what, here's what I notice on the people who do split their split their schools. Uh -huh. It's time, you know, they'll usually go through our group interview, right, during round one, because they've got to be ready for those interviews. And then they sort of walk away from it. They think they're done. Then they come to me and do a mock for a round two school. And, and it's like, forgotten. holy moly, what happened, right? So it's like, you can't you can't rest, right? You got to keep going. You got to really take that opportunity to, to make it better. Don't just sit back and say, well, I got into one school. Let's see what happens next. I guess you could do that if you got in, right? But yeah. you want to really aim high. You can't give up. But, that's but at least you got all the hard list. stuff out of the way. Yeah, yeah it's like our... You know, I think you've referred to it before as like a boot camp where we kind of, yes. you know, it's very, very intense for, you know, a brief period of time, uh, but it's necessary. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know, like you think that boot camp's over, so you just forget the strategies and then you come back, you know, four months later and it's like, what happened? <laughs> you, right, right. It used to be spot on and you kind of have to uh, sort of get reimmersed into into the yeah, environment. You get so rusty. That is a very good point. Right? Yeah, yeah, you get rusty. So you can't get rusty. You know, and here's, yeah. an, here's an interesting question. We see this with the UK school. So there's five rounds for UK schools, yeah. right? So you've got one, two, one, two in the fall, and then two in, excuse me, one and two in the fall, two and three, excuse me, three and, three four, and four, first part of the year, and then of course five. NYU does the same thing. Is there any advantage there? So for example, Cambridge this year has the first deadline that I know of. Their round one is like August 26th, I think, yeah. which is, which seems kind of early. What is your, what is your view on that? Like for the, for uh, NYU and the UK schools with more than two rounds, do you have yeah, any advice so it, on that? It does give a tiny bit of, um, of a safety net, especially if you're able to do round three. Um, however, for some of the international students, um, some of the, very late ones are too late because of the visa process. So uh, for students that are from the UK, uh, round four and round five are completely feasible, uh, but it does become somewhat problematic for international students because they miss the visa uh, window. So it really does just depend on, on the date. But if you can squeeze you know, one of those latter deadlines, like a round three deadline, 
then yeah, it just gives you just a little bit of an uh, an added safety net uh, if those are the schools that you're targeting. And have you ever had a client that's done all six of their schools in round one, or do you find that most of them do split in two, I, into I've two had, rounds? I've had both. And um, honestly, the splitting is not too common. I think people kind of want to get everything out of the way. So if they do save um, some schools for round two, it's usually just two schools. It's usually like a four school, two school split. Um, but I do find the vast majority of the people that apply round one are just very enthusiastic about getting it out of the way um, and just going all out and maybe even doing eight or nine schools, doing a couple of schools on their own. Right, right, right. Um, just to, and of course, that's an important part too. So you're never done with round one. I mean, if you don't get what you want, you just go back to the well, right in round two, and apply for more schools, right? Correct. And apply for as many schools as you need to. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Absolutely. What question do you have for me? Draw- I have a great question for you. <laughs> so, okay, let's hear uh, it. P- part of our job is uh, staying on top of trends. So schools are doing a fantastic job of. Uh, continuously modifying their applications and the application process. Uh, so part of our job is to uh, to keep up with all the trends that the schools are doing. Um, sometimes it's two years before school changes. Sometimes they make a change in between rounds. Um, but what are some of the big changes that you've noticed for this particular year that weren't evident before? Okay, so that's a that's a fantastic question. So I, I'm going to start with the news that's good for me. No, actually, I think it's good for everybody. It's got to be Columbia, right? So this is probably, I think, the most consequent consequential decision or change, especially for Thai people, because Columbia is a very very popular school for Thais, as you know. I forget what we do nine. We got nine admits last year. Something was it nine or twelve? I don't know. It's a great school for Thais. Yeah. So everybody's everybody's very tuned in to what's going on with Columbia. So what they've done this year is they've abandoned the early decision, right? So they've gone to more of a traditional model, like the schools. I'm assuming it's gone back to, right? So it'll be three three rounds with firm dates, right? That's so huge. this date is going to be the first, yeah, the first round for uh, for Columbia this year is going to be January, the, excuse me, September the 13th. And it's J-term as well. So now it's not a matter of, you know, getting it in as soon as possible, a rolling admission. Now it's all about, you know, just hitting, getting the deadline. 1159 New York time is when it has to be submitted, right? They won't look at it anything before then, but then that's when the, then the application becomes due. So yeah, so early decision is gone. And what I like about that, you know, most of that, very few of our clients, I think, ever did early decision. So the people who did want to do that two-year program, you know, we would have to sort of strategically decide when to submit the application so right. we wouldn't send the wrong signal that, that we, we didn't want it bad enough to apply for early decision. You know, we sort of play a little game there. So I'm glad that's been taken away, that sort of gray area. So I think that also puts a lot of people at ease now that knowing that, okay, I've got to get it in right now. You know, the sooner I get my application in, the better. And to an extent, that is true. But also the thing about, I didn't like about the early decision is you have to, you know, as soon as you submit your application, you're probably going to get an interview within like two weeks. Right. And, and, you know, in our cycle, that's not good news because you haven't gone through the interview coaching and preparation that's so important to the success of the interview. So I'm kind of a big fan of the change that they've made, right? Getting it's a great change. I, I don't, yeah. yeah, I can't think of any ED clients that I've ever had. Obviously, a lot of J term, you know, that's been rolling. 
Have you had any ED for, for Columbia? Yeah. And the thing about the ED is that you can, you have to commit to the school. So it's it's a yes or no. And if they accept you, that's it. You're going to that school and you're in. Um, but, you know, having more traditional deadlines is fantastic because it alleviates a lot of that pressure. Um, as you mentioned, the timeline of prepping for the interview, that's huge. But it's also, it, it was such a, a, a concerning issue that... Um, you know, rolling. I need to get through it right away because I don't want to miss my spots, which is a very valid concern. Um, but it was very nerve wracking and um, nerve wracking for everybody. For everybody, because yes, people were applying, not necessarily 100% before they were ready, but obviously uh, the more time you have, the better prepared you can be. Yeah. So right. it did put uh, a lot of burden on everybody to, right. uh, to get things done. But uh, but now with that gone, that is huge. That is a yeah. And a it was our change. job as consultants to slow walk it, even though the client really didn't understand why, or the person why? we were understanding why. You know, they wanted that in right away, and we're like, "That's not the best thing. You're going to be in the safe zone as long as it's by you know such and such a date." But we don't want you to to be exposed to the interview process without any sort of you know preparation for that, because that is very very nerve wracking. It's possible. It's doable. We've done it before. We've we'll do it, it again. All. We do but it the every whole year. Yeah, we do it every year. So that's not a big deal. It does, you know, we can get you in, but um, but definitely going through the interview process or our group interview process, I think is is definitely a huge benefit, uh, yeah. not only for working with us, but just for pacing the interview, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, another big change that I saw uh, so far is, you know, the video components, you know, that's right. that's changing each year. So each year, more and more schools are jumping on board. So the one that I've noticed so far, the, probably the biggest one that will affect our, our clients is Berkeley. So Berkeley introduced this year, now they have a video component. So it's more like a video statement. Okay. So it's not really an MIT situation where they can record it in advance, you know, a hundred times and, and we select the one, help them select the one that, that is best, right? That we like mm -hmm. the best. This is more like a Tepper maybe, or a booth where you know what the question is going to be. And so for Berkeley, it's essentially their, their leadership question. So Fernie, you might recall, so before this was essay question number two, it was a written question. They've actually made it a video, right? So the question was, yeah, so it's one of their, they have four leadership principles, I think, right. I forget what they are at the moment. So you're, it's a leadership question basically based around that, either professional achievement or, you know, a personal achievement as well. So that's what the video is about. So we, we know what the question is, so we can help prepare in our video essay classes, that kind of a thing. But the trick here is because it is, it's recorded live. Um, so that means that it has to be perfect, right? You know what the question is. So anytime you know what the question is, it's got to be perfect. Um, and it's got to finish on time. But they do allow you to retake it, which is quite generous. A lot of schools don't let you Very do that. Yeah. So you can, you can choose to discard the first one. But if you choose to discard it, you know, it's gone forever. You're stuck with the second. You don't get to choose. Um, and here's the other thing. I'm not quite sure, because this is the first year, I don't know yet when you submit it. So... Sometimes, so let's say Yale, you do it in advance. Kellogg, you do it after. I'm not sure yet how Berkeley's going to do it. So based on my research, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it's not the application itself. So as soon as we have clients start going in and registering, then I'll find out exactly we'll how they're going to be managing that. But, but yeah, so that's a new one for Berkeley this year. So, uh, so yeah, it's their leadership. And what they replace the actual application with is going to be a goals essay. So they never had a goals essay. So that's cool. We love goals essays. 
We know exactly what goes in that space, right? We know how to sell that. So, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's quite interesting. So, the yeah. video essay component has like every year. So for like the last maybe three or four years, it's just continuing to evolve. It used to be, you know, Kellogg and MIT, and Kellogg was, uh, you know, blind questions where you could have you know a few seconds to look over the question, a few answer. Few, few seconds to answer. Uh, then it became they gave you one uh, prompt ahead of time. Then they gave you two. Then they gave you three. Uh, but now it's a mixture in every school. It used to be only a handful of schools. Now it seems like every school is doing some sort of video essay component. It's becoming a, a bigger part of it. And you know we've taken that into consideration. It's now a huge part of uh, of our strategy as well. I think UT Austin last year had a crazy one where it was like 15 minutes of a self interview. <laughs> it was like, yes. it was five yes. or six questions uh, all bundled into a, a giant 15 minute, as opposed to, you know, a two or three minute answer. Um, but yeah, they continue to, to evolve, but uh, we continue to prepare and, and make sure that, uh, you know, that all of them are perfect, no matter uh, what format they throw at us. Yeah, and I suspect we're going to continue to see more. And I don't know if you realize this because I just found out about this round two last year, right? Yeah, round two last year. Haas also has a video interview. So the people who are on the wait list who are getting interviewed were actually having to go not to a video statement, but to an actual video format. So they're doing that this year as well. Now, I, ever knew, I didn't know that option was available, but you can if you apply later, Mm -hmm. And you get an interview and they've already finished interviewing. They will send you to a video interview. So you do the whole 30 minute interview in online in a, in a video interview format. Interesting. So similar to how McCombs does it as well. Yeah. So I suspect, you know, with AI, the way that it is now, you know, this is an opportunity for schools <laughs> to, for schools to actually see, talk to more people, right. Yeah. And find out who the best candidates are that might've fallen through the cracks otherwise. Right. Yeah, that might be true. Now, unfortunately, yeah. video is not the best way to do that for me. Yeah. You know, that would be the worst way to, to show off. I think my talents is by a video talking to a blank screen, but at least it's there. Right. Yeah. At least that, that option is there. So maybe they can see more people and let somebody get in that might've slipped through the cracks. Otherwise. I, I actually think that that was the purpose of the UT Austin one. And I think they stated that uh, somewhere and that, you know, that new format allowed them to, um, to look at more applicants than ever before. Right, right. But, um, right, that makes sense. I don't know. Maybe they'll. I think last year was kind of like a, like a beta test. So maybe they'll tweak it somewhat because it was very strange format. Um, you right. know, a fifteen minute self interview is kind of strange. Right, right. I want to say there were five questions. Right, there were maybe ninety second response time, something like that. So yeah, yeah like it was that, yeah. A, it was a different. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I know it's nerve wracking. I had Very, three people yeah. worked with three people who were going through that last year. And it's yeah. a whole different set of you know preparation that we have to do. Yeah, when you have three minutes, that's nerve wracking in and of yes. itself. But at least you have yes. you know those yes. little little breaks yes. in between those little pauses. And especially helps. when you've got a great story to tell, you know, and you've been yeah. you know now how do you tell your wonderful story to this computer screen in sixty <laughs> seconds or whatever the time was? Right, it's insane. Right, yeah. so yeah, it does require a little bit of preparation. Um, so here's the other big thing. So, you know, TOEFL, right? So for Wharton, Wharton is always required the TOEFL. So most schools, actually all schools will take either the IELTS or the TOEFL, right? And, right. and, and Wharton was the last holdout. They only the said TOEFL. So yeah, so what happened? <laughs> so they, find, they changed. They said that we are now accepting the IELTS, which is great because a lot of, um, you know, a lot of clients needed, um, 
to take the TOEFL just simply for yes. Wharton if that was on their list. Um, right. But now they've opened it up. They can take the IELTS. Most people consider the IELTS to be a little bit easier, especially in the uh, in the reading segment. Um, but yeah, it's just great that you don't have to take an extra one. So a lot of the times if the clients had to choose one or the other, they would always point to the TOEFL if Wharton was on the list, just so that they wouldn't have to take both. Um, but now that Wharton accepts both, everybody can take the IELTS. And yeah, really does make things makes things easier. Uh, makes, things, for everybody. Yeah, makes things a lot easier. And and something interesting about the IELTS, the higher your score is, the easier it is to get, get an even higher score. Whereas TOEFL is kind of like the GMAT. You know, there's a diminishing return to it. So the higher your score is, the harder it is to get bigger gains. They just become incremental at a certain uh, at a certain point, right? Correct. So IELTS is a little bit different. You can really blow it out of the park towards the end there, right? Yeah. So I think the IELTS is a better format. It is in person, right? The TOEFL was integrated, right? You're looking at three different sources or whatever and having to put them all together. So yeah, I think I think that's a good move for IELTS, right? Or a good good move for, for Wharton, for Wharton to yeah. be able to do that. And, you know, and here's the interesting thing about uh, language skills, uh, language scores, and we do this every year, and, and it happened last year as well. You know, a lot of people think they get that score, right? They get their 7.5 or their 8 or whatever, and then they're done. They push it to the side and they said, okay, I, I met the minimum, minimum requirement, I'm done. And that is so wrong because, <laughs> you know, usually these people, most of our clients, the people that we work with, work in the Thai environment, right? They're not speaking English every day, right? So it's like my advice to anybody listening today is start today spending one hour of English, one hour in English, not right. just watching Netflix, but actually using speaking, right? Right. Because the score is not good enough. The score will get you an interview, right, that meets their minimum requirement, but they're judging you on everything but that score once Absolutely. you get the interview, right? They're looking at the videos, they're listening to you in the interview. And if you can't have a conversation, you know, and tell your stories, you know, as a conversation, if you have to memorize it, that's a huge, huge red flag. And people who are uncomfortable with the language, they tend to fall back on memorizing it. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the weird part about that is the ad com can kind of follow along with you as you're reading, right? And we don't right. want that. So Absolutely. it's okay to be able to tell a story that the ad com knows, right? But you're actually telling it in a conversational way. Yep. So I'm telling my, the people that I'm working with all the time, it's like, you gotta, you gotta have an English hour. That's Every true. day, right? Yeah. Not just listening, but it's got to be speaking because you're using that yep. other part that of your am, brain for speaking, right? The immersion is 100% necessary. Yeah, it's, right, uh, right, right. scores are not enough. Scores are, as you mentioned, just an indicator, uh, but it's right. your ability to convey uh, the message you want to convey and tell good stories. Um, that's what's ultimately going to get you into the school. So very important to, to keep up with, you know, with all the skills listen to some podcasts yes. find some friends to speak with uh, even if it's right. just for an hour a day as you mentioned but right. very very important yeah hour a day makes a big difference and, and especially like if you're in an interview and you get interrupted right you don't you're not thrown off your game right, right. And you can answer the question go back to where you were or whatever when you memorize oof, there's so many things yeah. that can happen right <laughs> yeah, so we, many things that can happen we absolutely do not want to rely on memorization because i mean obviously it sounds False, but also as you mentioned, if if you get interrupted during a memorized script, then 
you forget where you left off and then it throws the whole thing off and then you start to panic. And, you know, if you're only telling a story because you remember what sentence comes after the last one that you just right. said, then you lose your place and the whole thing's done. So right, right. very important to, you know, obviously know what the story is about, but you've got to be tell, able to tell it conversationally. That right. is key. And same thing with, you know, video interviews, right? We, we call it a crash landing. You never want to like, oh my God, you know, freak out, <laughs> lose what you're going to say and then have to like bail out of your, out of your yeah. interview. You know, that never looks good, right? And that's one, so. of the, that's one of the tough things about the video essays. It's you don't have that person in front of you to, to have feedback from, right? Even if it's nonverbal feedback, right? You can tell how much a person is invested in your story just by looking Absolutely. at them. And when you're doing a video essay, you're literally staring at a screen, staring back at yourself, uh, and that uh, you know you don't get the feedback that you need sometimes, and it does result in the story not told as well as it can be. It does result in some crash landings, but all these things we consider and we prepare for, so right. it's not an issue. Uh, you know, once you're done with our bootcamp. Hey, I also wanted to walk you, you and I last year, we noticed this or we had, we made this observation, I think right about at the same time. And that is, you know, the way that the interviews are structured. Okay. So, so typically all interviews sort of follow a same general pattern, right? You're going to yeah. talk about your resume, you're going to introduce yourself. You're going to talk about a few things in your resume, talk about your accomplishments, go to your goals, it follows this yeah. whole thing. <laughs> Columbia always did what we call a backwards interview, right? Yep. And then you and I noticed something different this year. What was that? So it used to be such a rarity that, I mean, we would spend a little bit of time to prepare for it just in case it came up, which was if I had to put a number on it, 5% of the time, uh, you'd have what's called a backwards interview. We knew Columbia did it. So if we were interviewing for Columbia, then we would prepare for it. But a backwards interview just means that uh, you would have to start with goals. And the very first question that you get asked about is, you know, what are you doing once you get a degree from our establishment? And launching goals is a little problematic because we like to base our goals on, you know, on something that's has accomplished already in the workforce, right? Something that you've done is going to ground you in uh, making sure that this is completely possible, right? So, so it makes it a little strange when when you have to kind of work in reverse and uh, and start with you know the lofty goals that we always have you know great ambitions. You're gonna uh, come back and lead great things, but uh, without the proof, um, it's kind of difficult to uh, you know to convey how feasible it's going to be when you come back. But what we saw last year is. Probably the first maybe 15 interviews, I would say that maybe 12 out of those 15 started with goals. So then we just pivoted our strategy. We definitely took more time to, uh, you know, to build upon that. And it paid off because, yeah, I mean, it, the trend just continued. The first 12 yeah. were like that, but then it never stopped. Um, so round one, round two, it just became more and more standard for schools to ask about goals uh, first and foremost. Um, so yeah, so, so it's no longer an outlier. Yeah, so now it's yeah, like, no longer, yeah. it's, we have to prepare for both. They have to be comfortable with both, with right? Both, yeah. Ad, agile. And we had multiple strategies. So that was mm -hmm. kind of nice uh, in, you know, we gave our clients a choice as to how to approach it. Um, so two or three different strategies and then based on whichever one uh, they were most comfortable with was, 
you know, the one that they ended up implementing. But um, yeah, definitely a huge change uh, from before. Don't know if that trend will continue this year or not, but uh, we've definitely included it as part of uh, our training for this year. Yeah, we're definitely going to be prepared for it. Um, Here's another question. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, and I get this a lot, too. We're kind of early now. It's not what we we would get asked now, but here's a good question for you. What is So as a Thai person, is it better to interview with a Thai interviewer (laughs) or with a foreign interviewer? What is your – what advice do you give on that one? It's a fantastic question, and um, uh, there's pros and cons to both. There's a comfort level in speaking to another Thai person. Um, So a lot of the times, if you are going to be interviewing with another Thai person, uh, those tend to be done in person. So that in and of itself has merit, I believe. I always feel that an in-person interview um, is better than an online interview, um, just because there's so much subtlety that you pick up up in person that you don't get in a video video, uh, setting. Things like body language, mannerisms, um, pleasantries are much more comfortable face-to-face than they are on video. Um, But what ends up happening a lot is that you fall back on the Thai language a lot, whether it's during the pleasantries at the beginning or once the quote-unquote official interview is over, uh, everything at the end uh, goes back to Thai. So um, it turns it into this area of sort of informality, um, which again could go either way, right? If um, if you build a great rapport with your interviewer, then fantastic. If you spend another 20, 30 minutes after the quote unquote interview is over and you know you gain additional insights or you kind of build a nice relationship, then that's great. That is going to reflect well. On the other hand, um, there is that level of formality that dealing with a foreign interview, it's kind of um, it's kind of set in a very uh, structured environment where you know exactly what's going to happen going in and you know what you're going to get out of that interview. So that in and of itself provides a comfort level and that nothing is out of the ordinary. It's going to, you're going to talk for 20 minutes, cover these areas. Um, and then the interview is over. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's merits to both. I, I agree with everything you said, you know, and just to kind of throw a wrench in there, the, we encourage, you know, the people that we work with to to emphasize their tiness, right? So to an American reader or whoever's looking at the application, right? I mean, that's an interesting part to show who you are, how culture affects the things that you do, you know, whether it's working in teams or reporting to people who are above you or whatever. It's a little bit more difficult, I think, for a tie to pull that off with another tie the way mm-hmm. they could with a foreigner. Because to a foreigner, again, that's very, very interesting, right? To hear these things that are going on, you know, behind the scenes, things that a, that an American reader or a British reader would not, or an interviewer, I should say, would not pick up on, right? It would, it would be fascinating, I think. Yeah, that's But if you're doing that to a tie, you know, they're going to be kind of like, okay, what, what, what are you talking about here? Well, <laughs> of course, right? So it's not surprising to them. It's not unique to them. And it might even seem a little bit inauthentic to them. Yeah. So depending on, you know, how you tell your story or what your story is about, you might have to make some adjustments. So you're not telling, you know, you're not, what's, I can, I'm trying to think of a better expression than preaching to the choir, right? Somebody right. who's already familiar with that, right? That's so exactly that's it. why, yeah, that's why I kind of like go with, go with the foreigner because uh, you get to really sell it, right? You can play up your tininess, and now that's becoming more important than ever, I think, to, to show how distinct you are, and especially the cultural backgrounds and how that contributes to who you are and where you're going, right? 
So I think, yeah, it works both ways. It's pros and cons. Yeah. You know, That's a fantastic little... point, though, because yeah. Yeah, it's um, part of the, the one of the greatest things about the storytelling element is the element of surprise, right? So if you're right. able to surprise mm-hmm. the reader, surprise the listener, um, it's great. It's going to be it's just going to draw the attention and improve the engagement. So it's a very good point in that a lot of the times you interview with a Thai person and they might already be familiar with that story. Um, so maybe they worked on that same project in an earlier time, or maybe their company uh, had a previous partnership where they're already familiar with some of these uh, elements of your story. And in that sense, um, you know, you do lose a lot of that, uh, you know, that element of surprise, which can hurt uh, the engagement just a bit. So that's a fantastic point. And then one more small thing to add on to that is the small talk, right? So this is where when I'm working with people or doing mock interviews or whatever, they're very uncomfortable about those first, you know, the first 60 seconds, right? right? As things are getting, you know, you're showing your ID or whatever. It's like, what do you talk about during that time, right? Because as a culture, you know, and I hate to generalize, but, you know, that's not, small talk is not a big part of, of, of how they interact, right, right, in the beginning. So there's always that weird, awkward moment, I think, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable about, uh, you know, speaking to a foreign interviewer. So that's something that I always try and do when, when I'm working with people, just, you know, what are those first couple of things? Just two things you need to talk about. <laughs> How's the weather in Maine? Talk today. Whatever, right. right? So, and that actually helps relieve a little bit of the stress about rather than having that formal introduction right at the beginning, because you're going to do the formal thing when you actually when the interview starts, starts, right? When the clock right. starts, that's when you're going to say the full name and get into all of that. But, so it's like, what do you do in that little 30 second window, right? When you're just staring into the camera. So, so I think, I think that's a big, a big thing that can help relieve people's anxiety is, you know, just a little bit of small talk to sort of, to sort of ease into the interview. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> um, you know, one more thing, I kind of got off track a little bit. I was going to talk about waivers just very, very briefly because sure. waivers, as you know, last year were a huge, huge part of the application process. So this all, this all happened during COVID, right? So we went through three years, I think, yeah. of all these waivers. Right. And then they got really generous with them. Everybody basically got to apply to the school that they wanted to, to apply to because everybody just got their waivers granted. So that's pretty much gone away. So that's a question I keep getting now. You know, are they still doing COVID waivers? COVID waivers basically went away last year. MIT right. was the last school to do it. Um, this year, I've noticed MIT, they're still doing the waiver. So, so waivers still exist. However, your circumstances have to be very, very extenuating, right? right? So they're not just going to, it's not a free for all like it was. And as a matter of fact, I, I would think in the three years that we had the COVID thing, I can, I can recall one person that actually got in with the waiver. I'm sure there were more, you know, that we've worked with, but that's, I'm, I'm bringing up one, but it's almost, you know, it's a non-starter now. So it's like, don't just get the waiver out of your mind, right? You, you got to have the score. That's what they're looking for, unless you do have an extenuating cir- uh, circumstance. And then at that point, what they're going to look at is they're going to go through every line of your, of your transcript to see how you performed on those quant classes right so it's not you got to be prepared and you got to be strong in every other aspect of COVID was such a unique situation that uh, I'm curious to see what remains and what goes back to quote-unquote normal uh, in the next year or two Um, obviously interviewing on Zoom became the only choice during COVID Um, but I do wonder if they'll get back fully to the in-person interviews or if, you know, this is just a thing that, that remains uh, forever now. And 
Yeah, my bet is that. I can see both. I'm, yeah, my bet is that it's forever. You know, it's technology, yeah. right? It'll, it, they can do more people. It's the convenience. But who knows? But so let's say some schools do a hybrid, right? You can mm-hmm. choose whether you want to do in person or not. So I think that might be the direction that they're going in, right? Because right. some people are much stronger in person, person as opposed to being, you know, on a video screen. That's terrifying, right? You don't right. know what the other person's doing. You only can see their head. There's there's so much more going on that you can pick up on and feel the energy from and, and you know, thrive off of that, right. that you that you don't get in person, right? Or that you don't get in the- They don't get, out, yeah, don't get online, yeah, right? right. Don't get online. I always advocate for in-person. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's my preference. I think you can get right. a lot yeah, for sure. more accomplished. Sure. Yeah. So another big question I'm getting is about yeah. this GMAT. So yes, I was about to focus. ask you that. Okay, so, so this is a big deal, right? Yeah, Everybody's hearing about it. Everybody's here. excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a big deal because for many people, you know, GMAT is uh, the biggest pain point of the entire process, Correct. right? There's so much mental energy. There's so much, you know, time devoted to this. You know, I guess you could you could argue it's either interview or GMAT, but I know GMAT for a lot of people is the absolute worst. So, so this new Focus GMAT is coming out. It's called Focus Edition. Okay, mm-hmm. so it for I guess they introduced it a couple of months ago, and, and more information is coming out, and they've kind of changed their rollout plan. But essentially, you know, they've simplified the whole thing. The most important thing they've done is they've shortened it. So now there's only three sections. They're 45 seconds long. So there is um, there's quantitative reasoning, there's verbal reasoning, and now there's data insights. So what they've taken away are two two important things, or two things that I think are going to make a lot of people happy. No more essay. That's completely gone. And then no, no more sentence correction. So you know you hear about sentence correction all the time. Everybody hates it. I even hate sentence correction, right? I'm pretty good in English for the most part. But yeah, so that part is completely gone. So essentially what they've done is they've pared it down. And then in, in talking to the school, so they did this in consultation with all the schools. So it's right. much more relevant, I think, to, to, this, to, the, to the modern business environment, right? Especially with the data component. So it's you know, there'll be a lot of questions or a lot of the focus is going to be on, you know, interpreting data and applying data. So the rumor is, you know, based on initial tests and things like that, that the verbal is going to be a lot easier, right? The verbal section, but the quant might be a little bit more difficult. But I think the, the takeaway is that it's going to be so much shorter that not as much time is going to be needed to be spent preparing for it, right? That's great. So, so I think it's good news. Now, the question is, what test do I take, right? So you've got two tests out there. So initially, so that they won't release f- uh, the focus format until the 29th, I think, of August. So for most people, that's going to be too late, right, for mm-hmm. round for one. one. Mm-hmm. However, you know, if you're doing the split strategy, right, you could go back and take the focus edition in round two. Or if you're applying in round two, you could take it, you know, you could take that and use that for your round two schools. But however, they've changed, a lot of schools have changed. So for example, Harvard. So Harvard said, okay, we're going to take both. Round one, obviously, it's too late, right? You won't be able to, it's, it's coming out too late. Round two, you can do whichever one you want. And then they walked that back. And I think they walked it back because now they're comparing apples and oranges rather than apples and apples. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to take my advice to those listening, if they want to take the focus, just make sure the school will accept it before you go take it and submit it because the school might not. So that's still, you know, it's still kind of early. Most schools don't really finalize things until the end of September, uh, end of July, right? Whether it's essay questions, deadlines or whatever. So I think a lot of schools are still trying to figure that out. But my guess is that it won't be, you know, fully rolled out 
in, are accepted by the schools until the next, the next year, which the next cycle, intake, right? Yeah. Just so I think it's fair and they can compare a little bit better. But but I don't know that yet, right? So I continue to watch and see if there's any news on that. But the good news, the takeaway is, yes, a new GMAT is coming. Hopefully it will be, you know, relieve a lot of stress because let's face it, when you're focusing on the GMAT and you and I do this all the time, okay, go get your score. See you in three weeks, right? Just focus on getting that score up. Now they don't have to do that as much, right? And they can start developing the other parts of the profile that are just as important because, you know, as, as we tell everyone, it's a holistic process, right? It's not just about the GMAT. There's so much more that has to be considered. So you need to spend as much time on that as well, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so just a couple more questions for our let sure. you go, okay? So I'm going to put you on the spot here. What, um, <laughs> what do you think is the part of the whole process that people neglect the most? So this is before we've actually started the in-group sessions where we, you know, sort of discuss um, interview strategies. Um, and the, the great thing about that is that people start to see how everything comes together and that everything is just one giant uh, jigsaw puzzle where they're previously only seeing one piece here, one piece there, and they don't necessarily know how everything um, fits together, right? It's a, it's kind of like in the movie Karate Kid, which might be a dated reference for our listeners, but uh, you know, he's doing all these what, all What's these that, Barney? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> So, you know, he's painting the house, painting the fence, doing all these chores, not really realizing why he's doing it. Uh, and then in the end, it's like he's taught that, uh, you know, that repetitive motions are all part of the martial arts training. So it's similar right. here, right? So we're we're saying, okay, this is what the story structure needs. This is what needs to be said uh, in an essay. This is what needs to be said in a resume. This is, you know, what goals have to align with, right? So um, all these little puzzle pieces are are out there in the ether but they're they don't necessarily know how they're connected yet um so this is that part of the time now where you know once you start going into those weekly sessions and then everything you know there's those aha moments where like oh i get it now because if i get asked this then yeah obviously i'm prepared for it because there's that element already in that story um but you know they're not quite seeing it yet and as a matter no matter how much we try to um to tell them to trust us, uh, you know, we're, we're big advocates of show, don't tell, but a lot of the things we're doing is telling and not showing yet, but that showing does come later in those group sessions. And, uh, and then everything comes together and then um, the clients finally have those aha moments. And it's great. It's great to, you know, that light bulb moment comes and they're oh. like, Oh yeah, now it totally makes sense. Um, and There's getting that by is fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm chuckling because, you know, when you said, trust me, you know, I find myself saying that at least three times a day, right? It's like, it's going to work out. You just have to trust me right now. Hang on. It's all going to come together. You know, they're, see, they think, so what is the days of 26? So we're almost, what, six weeks away, I think, from, from no, a month away, right, from our first deadlines, which in, in this whole process, you know, that's an eternity, right? But right. if you're doing this kind of in a vacuum, it, right. it's just right around the corner, right? Right. So I'm constantly telling people, just relax. There's a reason, there's a method to this madness. It's yeah. all going to come together. Everything is going to be perfect if you just follow these, you know, instructions and, you know, that kind of a thing. So, uh, yeah, that we have that quite, we have that conversation a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's all going to work out. And the closer you get to deadline, it's just starting to make sense, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then when they start meeting with each other, right, that's the one of the, one of the really good things about 
group interviews. Right. Now they get to start interacting with one another. Yeah. And now they're sharing concerns. They see the things that they're anxious about and worried about. Everybody else around that table has the same exact feeling. So that right. makes them feel better, right? That they're not an outlier and that they're going, what they're going through is completely normal, <laughs> right? All... And it also helps in the, in the opposite effect where on the few times oh, yeah. that people are lagging behind and they're like, holy yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. they're already there. <laughs> Like, yeah, dude, you gotta stop <laughs> I, I gotta do some some writing tonight <laughs> on my essay, right? Yeah, that happens that happens a lot too. It works both ways. Yep. Okay, so listen, we, we're getting a little bit long. I'm gonna put you on the spot one more time with a feel-good right. question to close this out. Okay. So right. I want to know from Fernie Martinez what the best part is about being a consultant and helping these people. Oh, the results are like seeing people get into their dream schools just never, ever, ever gets old. And it is, it makes everything worthwhile. It really does. It's people say that all the time. Like, uh, you know, you have to go through the progress, but a thousand percent, uh, it makes everything worthwhile. There's a lot of super late nights. You and I will be working at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) on various nights, uh, but it really is always worth it. Um, you know, the end result is is always worth it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love making people's dreams come true, right? It's, Absolutely. it's Absolutely. being a part of that is, uh, it's so rewarding. So um, yeah, I mean, I, that's, it'll continue to be my favorite part of the process. And it makes, um, you know, when whenever there is a, a struggle, whenever there is, you know, tension between a client or, you know, those late nights, uh, you got to remind yourself. Yeah. In three tough months, love and yeah. yeah <laughs> that tough love yeah. sometimes is necessary. Yeah. And then um, they see how it all works out. Right. Yep. And, and I, I don't want to say they come back and say, yeah, you were right, but they definitely know it was, everything was done for a reason. Right. Yeah. You know, and the really uh, cool thing yeah. about it, talking about these sessions, you know, these group sessions or whatever, you know, my favorite part is I love when we start, right? And at the end of the cycle to see how everybody has grown, right? Yeah. We do this every round. You know, yeah. they come in, they're shy, they're scared. And then in a matter of months, literally, that's one one reason why I like to refer to it as a boot camp, right? You come in, sure. you go in as one person and you literally yeah. come out the other side as a totally different person Very with different. new skills, with new confidence, you know, ways of relating with different people and things that you'll use for the rest of your life. You know, and I was having dinner the other night with some friends and I was talking about, you know, the we work Fernie with some really cool people. I mean, these people are young, they're Absolutely. smart, they do yeah. amazing things in, in their job, right? They're about to go off to the school, come back, change the world, right? You know, yeah. and I always think to myself, you know, Thailand's got such a great future. You know, when I yeah. think about the people that we work with and the they're things that they're and doing and the things that they're going to be doing. <laughs> yep. Everything, you know, that's not to say Thailand didn't have a bright future before, but just no. knowing, you know, that these people are going to be the ones um, who are going to be making a difference. <laughs> and that's what I like most about it. It's like, that, it's I agree cool there. People it, that we work it really with. does. It's very right. comforting yeah. uh, as two of us who are getting older <laughs> yes. to know that we're in good yes. hands, that the future yes. is in good hands. In very, very uh, good hands. Yeah. Great. Okay, so I think that's a great place to leave it. So, Bernie, thank you so much for this. I thought that was a great hour to spend getting the people ready for round one. So, good luck. I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you in a few days, wherever that might be. But yeah, we'll be in touch, obviously. We'll so, good luck to everybody the out there listening. And then, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm getting back to it right now. So, thank you everybody for listening, and we will see you next time. All right. Goodbye. Thanks, Carl. Good talking to you.